Welcome to episode 13 of the Golf Betting System podcast. We're talking Maybank Championship on the European Tour and also the Waste Management Phoenix Open on the PGA Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour previewer at Golf Betting System. And with me is our European Tour expert, Paul Williams. Evening, Paul. Evening, Steve. How you doing? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. He's fresh from releasing his Maybank Championship betting preview. All of our previews, predictor models and the like, anything we discuss, I put uh, live descriptions if you're listening to this on Podbean. Of course, we've also got resident guest from a Good Talk Spoiled podcast. That's Barry O'Hanneran. Barry, how are you? Good evening, guys. I'm very well, thanks. Evening to you. Right, a bit of a housekeeping as ever golfbettingsystem.co.uk for all of the uh, content that we're going to discuss tonight. We're recording this as ever tea time on Monday over in the UK. Twitter, uh, I'm available at Bamford Golf. Paul Williams is available at Golf Betting and Barry is available at A Good Talk Golf. Now I'd like to thank listeners before we move on. We had an epic number of listeners last week a real considerable jump week on week so thank you to each and every one of you i hope you're enjoying the podcasts the numbers are going up so that's uh, very pleasing for all of us also a quick note just to say if you're listening to this on itunes you want to leave a review um that would be much uh, much appreciated by us as well get some uh, review numbers on our itunes listing now before we move on to discuss Uh, the May Bank and also the Phoenix Open. I just wanted to have a quick catch up with the guys in terms of what did we learn at the weekend across the two golf tournaments. So I'll start with Paul. What what do you think we learned uh, in Dubai and also at Torrey Pines? Anything anything that jumps to mind for you? Um, What did we learn? We learned that golf betting can be um, incredibly frustrating, as uh, as you and I have experienced for a number of years, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, go, going back to the uh, to Dubai to begin with, um, Hao Tong Lee, fantastic performance from Hao Tong Lee, um, a really impressive young man. Um, I tipped him up the week before, um, hundred to one, and mm. uh, he missed the cut. Now it transpires that he picked up a bug um, and. When he got to the tee on Thursday, he was feeling uh, feeling a bit rough in Abu Dhabi, and uh, promptly went and uh, had, had two poor rounds and uh, missed the cut. And then, uh, of course, everyone leaves him alone the week after, and he uh, he produces thirty birdies and uh, and, and takes down uh, Rory McIlroy at uh, in in Dubai with a, with a fantastic performance. It must be said. Um, I mean, that's that's one thing, I guess. And then uh, you know, you one remaining or my one remaining hope was Andy Andy Sullivan. Who's um, sitting in an each way position, going up the final uh, final hole? Uh, nice reachable par five. Um, doesn't even need to reach it. You can just uh, just take it easy and uh, meander up there and get a par. But now, of course, he, uh, he gets a bogey and falls into a like an eighty seven way tie for uh, for sixth place. So uh, so yeah, the uh, little frustrating premature tipulation. I'm told on Twitter, the uh, yeah. picking these players and then they go and win the week after. I remember you mentioning it last week, the fact that that Dubai track can get quite linksy and you get a lot of links-type players congregate or moving towards the top of the leaderboard, especially when it's a little bit blowy around there. And it's interesting with Lee, clearly he finished like an absolute train at the Open last yeah, year. Yeah, and I also remember him last year in that event at Sicily where it was blowing an absolute gale and Kiros won at 350 to 1. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can go back all the way through the uh, through the records and um, of the D- Dubai Desert Classic, and there are an awful lot of uh, correlating um, players with with links tracks. And yeah, it's, it's certainly worth uh, keeping an eye on um, every year that comes around. And of course, now Lee's won uh, won Dubai, so uh, as we said last week, he must go on and win the Masters now, I guess. His putting numbers, Barry, were absolutely out of this world when I checked this morning. He he, he putted at sub 1.5 putts per green in regulation, which is you very 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 rarely see that on the, on a main tour event. He absolutely putted the lights out, and that that's why he beat Rory effectively. He, he just had did I did I see something about he didn't miss one within ten feet or something? Yeah, the, I saw that yesterday. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really, really good going, isn't it? And to make thirty birdies on the way around there as well, and it, you know, under the intense pressure of um, playing up against uh, a four-time major champion, former, former world number one, and to uh, to produce that kind of uh, performance was good. I, well, more than good, it was fantastic. Um, going back to the Masters, obviously we talked last week about um, the winner of Dubai um, for the last two years has gone on to win the Masters, and uh, mm. before the start. Lee was two hundred to one to win at Augusta in April, and uh, he's already been backed into eighties. So, so clearly there are a few people there with their eye um, on that particular trend. And uh, just trying to see if that follows through for a third year on the trot. He's played at Augusta, has he? Did he? Didn't he play there as, a, as an amateur? Quite possibly. I yeah, I think. He, I think he's been there. Something's telling me in my mind. Mm. I don't think he's going there as a course rookie. Mm. Interesting. Clearly, I think the bookmakers were just absolutely praying that Rory didn't win. So um, they got their way there, the bookmakers. Anything? Did you, did you learn anything, Barry? Did you take in any of the golf over the weekend? Were there any trends or or things that you weren't expecting or you were expecting that you, you witnessed? Um, I thought Rory would cruise it from, you know, once he posted his uh, you know, second round and then the third round even. I, I, I really thought he'd go on and cruise it. And, Looking at him, uh, you know, a couple of uh, quotes from him today, he says like he's really, you know, pissed off, and uh, I'm sure there were a few more choice words to that effect as well. You know, he's he's talking about being annoyed about it, but at the same time, I think it's like Lee's putting is the thing that's probably causing Rory to question himself. I didn't yeah. see it live yesterday. I was lucky enough to be out on the golf course on a dry day in Ireland in January, so. Um, some of my friends were commenting that you know Rory was trying his best to throw it away, but you know when somebody's draining every single putt they're making, you know they're looking at it or, or effectively doing that, it really gets in your head and it makes it forces you into mistakes. It's like playing him a match play, and you know when somebody's playing better than expectation, it just it eventually wears you down. So that could be the thing that's kind of causing Rory to question, you know, choices he made and and things that happened yesterday. Sometimes. Sometimes things just happen against you. Like there's de- there's destiny on the course, and it just wasn't for him. Um, at, at the end, he got philosophical and said, "Look, if somebody'd offered me a third and a second for my first two events back, I'd have been all over it and bitten their hand off for it." So, or, or words to that effect. So, I think it's a phenomenal um, return to fitness and to golf for Rory after a fairly sizable chunk of time off. And yeah, I think it. it it's a great start to the year and a great kind of uh, beginning to his build up to the Masters as well, which is, I mean, for sure his number one priority this year. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Barry. The um, the fact that he's come out after such a long layoff 
and he's produced those two efforts. And yes, he's not won, and yes, he could have won um, either or both of those events. Um, but he should be um, very pleased with the way he's playing, with the state of his game, the state of his long game in particular. Um, and I think it's going to be a, a, a good. It's going to be a good year for golf, full stop. Given the the players that we've got coming back into form, and Jason Day won again today. So you know you've got another player who's um, another elite player who's um, you know potentially finding some form um, as we head into twenty eighteen and uh, you know towards the Ryder Cup. Um, so we should you know, watch this uh, watch this season with interest. It's as it's as we've always said, isn't it? You know, with Rory. He's uh, he's just getting up to spell. I think the two performances, considering the length of the time off, was were amazing personally. But he set such high standards, and we expect such high standards from him. Um, yeah, and and what will happen is his grant. You know, his um, clearly he his 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 approach plays is better than it was when he was struggling with the back, um, and the or the putter will just start to warm more and more, and, he, and he'll and he'll walk a tournament at some point. You just see that happening. Um, it's interesting. He's playing Pebble, Pebble Beach in a couple of weeks, which he's never played before. So that's going to be interesting to see. That's a very good field this this year, actually. Spieth's playing, Day's playing, uh, Rory's playing. There's a, there's a there's a very strong top top uh, top line to it. So that'll be interesting to watch at Pebble Beach. Um, what did I what did I uh, learn? I, I keep asking the question. I haven't thought of an answer myself. Um, I'll tell you what I learned. Uh, Mark Leishman um, is flaky. <laughs> it's only now you're realising that. Yeah, I know. I, I did think this, you know. Oh, he doesn't win enough, Steve. It wasn't even that. It's like, you know, he's he's just birded the 17th, which no one had birded all day. And you're thinking, oh, he's in a tie for sixth. He actually birdies the last. He's going to get a full place here. And I just knew in the back of my mind... That you'd they and I was watching it on obviously clearly on Sky and then all of a sudden they went alphabetical on the names and I'm 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 not really wanting to look at the bottom and it said Leishman minus six tie for tie for ninth and I I shouted a rather large expletive that I hope the neighbour didn't hear but yes the other thing we did note from uh, Torrey Pines was you know I was harking on about South North all three in the playoff did the South North rotor again. So Norren, Day and Ryan Palmer all played the South first and then they played the North Co- North course on the Friday. And if that if my rudimental mathematics work, I think it's now nine from the North and nineteen from the South in terms of those that have finished in the top three since Ben Crane won in twenty ten. That's pretty a pretty big trend and it continues year after year after year so something to note potentially for listeners in 12 months time the other thing I, I think we noted this week was John Rahm the Bamford kiss of death really you know, it came I saw him as short as uh, I think I saw him as short as 9 or 7 to 4 on Saturday morning to win that tournament and then he started, didn't he start with a, I think it was a par and then a birdie. And you think, oh, this is a good start for Saturday. It's just, and then bogey, bogey, bogey. And then it just, the wheels completely fell off, didn't they? I mean, he's clearly he's clearly a human being. That's the first time I, I looked today that John's ever got into a seriously strong contending position and just fallen away completely. It's, yeah. uh, it's a good learning experience, though. You know, 
picking up valuable lessons. Um, it's a lot to what, ask, isn't it? Whilst all, yeah, it is. I mean, to to what to to have a chance to go to a number one and do it in the first tournaments that you actually have a chance to do it, and uh, putting that on the shoulders and head of a twas a twenty three year old. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, I think that course played a little bit firmer this year. You could tell from the scoring as well. It was 13 under one last year, 10 under this year, and they were going backwards in that breeze. That that course was playing firm and fast at the end. And I think something like someone like John Rahm, who's still learning his craft, I think put him on a soft golf course, you know, and, and we were having a, a proper shootout, aren't we, with Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy. We know all the soft course experts. John Rahm's just as strong as those guys, but put him on a technical test on a classical golf course that's playing firm and fast, and even the very best start to unravel. You know the the inexperienced guys, and you noticed last night as well on the PGA Tour, all of the guys that were contending at the end, they were all experienced PGA Tour pros. Yeah, and it was actually fascinating viewing watching. Uh watching the, the four of them chop and change the top, you know, once they got to, was the 13th or the 14th was the first yeah. of the really difficult ones. Yeah. It was just fascinating watching all of them have to grind through those holes. Now, that's not entertaining for 72 holes, but for that part of the golf tournament, um, it was really compelling viewing and, uh, you know, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, a good win by Jason Day this morning. Kind of a shame yeah. they just couldn't keep going last night. It's for both of them, you know, Day and Naren. You know, you've to you've all the adrenaline pumping, and then you have to get yourself up again this morning. And uh, you know, Naren was, I'd say, two yards from absolute perfection with his three wood approach this morning, and uh, just cruelly rolled back into the water. And then you know, Jason Day put a beautiful shot in to to seal the tournament, really. Yeah, don't forget though, caution. don't for, don't forget though, lads. The Ryder Cup's going to be a walkover for the Americans. You can you can see that, can't you? Just you know, with the the lack of depth we're going to have in the European team playing on European home soil. Yeah, and just I, in case just in case nobody realised, Alex Noren is a, a nine time European Tour winner, and you should know his name. But even though you don't, <laughs> it, the com the American commentary is uh, hilarious about him now. And uh, yeah, I hope he pops ahead up and grabs a PGA Tour win uh, very soon. <laughs> Paul's always said to me, not the not the best on Bermuda grass, but if you throw it, and it's true, just look at his results. Pure bent grass, anything with some power in it, and on a, on a classical golf course, Norren, he can do some serious damage. Yeah, Paul. Absolutely, and a lot of these players who come over from from Europe and uh, and tee it up in America, they're just they're, they're overpriced because the, the the Americans or the the bookmakers don't expect them to be able to contend. Um, in those uh, situations, but as, as you saw with Norren, um, you know he, he could easily have won that. As, as Barry said, he was he was so close to uh, to making that approach shot, and of course that made Jason's Jason Day's. Um, you know he had to lay up anyway. His lay up and uh, his wedge shot in um, that much easier. Um, he did well at Wells Fargo last year. That was pure bent grass. That tournament they played at Eagle Point. He, he was he was contending in that, and he wasn't even a tour member at that point. So. Yeah. And I've I've read that he's now set up in the states, so he's going to be playing PGA Tour pretty much full full time. So he's going, to be, he's, he's going to be one to watch. It'll be interesting to see how Tommy Fleetwood fares when he comes over, because he's spending a few uh, weeks over on the PGA Tour um, in the in the reasonably near future as well. Yeah, it starts at Riviera. Yeah, absolutely. And it's another one that I suspect for this to start with, the price will be. Uh, disproportionately high, and um, you know th this is a guy who's uh, you know he's getting close to the top ten in the world. He's uh, 
he can contend and compete in those kind of, particularly at Riviera. I mean, Riviera should suit him down to the ground. So, yeah, uh, watch his uh, watch his progress over in uh, the states with interest too. Right, let's move forward to this week, Maybank Championship. If I'm reading this correctly, um, it's the third renewal of this tournament, isn't it? And it's not to be confused with the Malaysian Open, as was. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk us through some headlines in terms of the course and what we're looking for this week, Paul? Yeah, you, you're right. It's the um, it's, it's the third Maybank Championship. Um, the first one was on a separate track, so. Um, if you're looking at the 2016 event, which was run, which was won by Marcus Fraser, then um, uh, take the result there with a pinch of salt. Last year, they moved to the Suljana Golf and Country Club in Kuala Lumpur, which is where we are this week, um, which is a 7,186-yard par 72, tree-lined. Um, it's called the Palm Course, but its uh, nickname is the Cobra. But it's, um, with a winning score last year of 19 under from Fabrizio Zanotti, um, it doesn't appear to have that much bite. To be to be honest, to be called the Cobra, I've seen you with a few Cobras, Paul. You're dangerous <laughs> after a Cobra or three. <laughs> yeah, or, or one or two. Um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, from 12 months ago, Zanotti won um, 19 under. He was 225 to one um, last year. Tasty price if you could have picked him out. He'd missed all all of his cuts. For that uh, calendar year to date, until he uh, came here and uh, and got the job got the job done with a 63 on the Sunday. Uh, the previous year on that separate course, as we said, was Marcus Fraser. Again, he was 175 to one. Um, he had no tangible incoming form, and uh, he got the job done there as well. So um, you know, there's, there's an argument to uh, to go for some longer prices right from the outset if that's uh, if that's the way you uh, you like to approach your golf betting. Um, Kuala Lumpur, this time of year, it's um, hot, It's there's a lot of thunderstorms. Um, this track, um, as they all tend to be over in this part of the world, um, is going to be soft. Um, it's not overly long, but they tend to play receptive, soft, low scoring. Um, the week we're looking at here, there's going to be rain. There's rain at the moment um, each day up until um, Saturday, potentially. So target golf, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be target golf. It's um, it's there's, there's water on um, seven of the holes, something like that. There's this tree line, but it generally is quite easy. It's quite wide. Um, soft fairways will make the uh, the, the fairways play wider um, as it is. So yeah, it's going to be more about uh, target golf, risk reward. Um, you know, kind of appealing to those players who are happy to take um, shots on. Um, and uh, can fly it through the air and you know land, land the ball next to the pin and, and make the putt. Um, bent grass green, uh, sorry, Bermuda grass greens, as you'd expect over in that part of the world. Um, and yeah, it, it's going to it's going to appeal to a certain type of player, I think. Um, if you go back through the history, when it's played tougher greens in regulation has been the, the key stat. When it's played easier, and there's going to be no wind this week, three five miles an hour, it's going to be it's going to be dead calm really. Um, it's going to be more about a putting. Who can who can hit uh, greens? Not particularly big greens here, but who can hit the greens? And then most importantly, who can make the putts on the uh, on the Bermuda putting surfaces here? So, um, I've kind of I went around the houses with this to try and work out where to go with it because if, again, if you you look at the um, the incoming form of Zanotti, there was nothing there. Um, they did play this course on the on the uh, Malaysian Open going back to uh, two thousand and nine, won by Anthony Kang. Uh, Peter Hedblum 
won here in 2007 and uh, Tong Chai JD won uh, twice in 2005 and 4. And JD was only the only one out of those really with a great deal of uh, form coming into this. Uh, Kang had finished four, three events before, but that was about it. Headblum had absolutely nothing. So um, if you look at the current form, you know, it could be um, an important factor, might be might be a complete red herring. Um, in terms of course form, Zanotti was on his debut, Hebblum was on his debut here. Uh, Kang had played it around five times and finished no better than 41st. But then you've got Jai D, who'd finished uh, seventh when he won it the first time, and he, he retained the title here the year after. So you've got a real mix of stats there, some suggesting course form and uh, current form are good, some suggesting that they're absolutely uh, um, irrelevant. So um, when, when Zanotti and Fraser won, did they actually beat some players that were towards the top of the market, or was it complete and utter free-for-all from an odds perspective? Last year... and. Um, the year before, going back to Fraser, it, it was um, it, it was less uh, there, were, there were less big players up there. Last year, um, Danny Willett led going into the final round. He had a three shot right. lead actually, um, and you'd have expected him to convert that. But um, I, I think Zanotti was three or four um, groups back going out, um, and um, he, he came. He produced a sixty three, and he. he He's more of a ball striker than a, a putter in my mind, Zanotti, but he clearly got the got the uh, the flat stick going that day, um, and he finished with an, an eagle on the uh, on the seventy second hole, and no one could catch him. Mm. Uh, David Lipsky was the closest to him at the end, um, but uh, he needed to birdie the final hole to uh, to force a playoff and couldn't manage that. So uh, so yeah, Zanotti uh, you know, with the pressure off effectively because he'd gone out, he knew he needed to shoot a score um, and uh, get himself in the clubhouse, and he did exactly that and. Uh, and no one could get close to him, so um, that's uh, that's clearly a way to get uh, get get the job done on this particular track. And um, it can be a low. It's going to be a low-scoring um, event this this uh, this year. It is a low-scoring track when people get the putter going. Um, going back to last year, Bernd Wiesberger, um, he made nine birdies on the trot at one point during uh, the second round, I think it was, um, which would have been a uh, European Tour record um, if they weren't playing the uh, preferred lies at the time but in any track when you, you're going out and making nine consecutive birdies you know that it's set up to uh, to score and to score very very well so for me that kind of leads me down the the kind of player that I want I want someone who's aggressive I want someone who's um, long enough to take this track on I want someone who's going to take the par fives on uh, someone who can get streaky with the putter um, and someone who's uh, making a lot of birdies and can make a lot of birdies. Um, so again, as I say, I kind of went around the houses with it. I've, I've, I've ended up with three picks, um, and uh, the, the first two, they're not going to be particularly um, innovative because um, I think they're, they're wholly logical. The first one's Alex Levy, who's been playing great golf for the last uh, couple of weeks. He played well at the Eurasia Cup, actually, and then he's, uh, he's followed that up with a couple of... Uh, top uh, seven finishes, seventh in Abu Dhabi, fourth last week in Dubai. And both of those are really big personal bests for him. He's not coming anywhere near those kind of performances in those two tracks before. So he's clearly playing well. His greens and regulations very strong and that's a, a real important factor with Lever. You need to see if he's hitting a lot of greens because when he is then he's going to be um, he's, he's going to be dangerous because he can get the putter going he can make uh, make birdies. So he's make, he's hitting virtually 80% there or thereabouts of greens and regulation last couple of events um, and if you look at his history when he's won it's typically been on these um, soft um, 
you know, risk reward target golf kind of um, tracks. Um, going back, we only one in Portugal. Um, it was rain affected. It got reduced down to two. Uh, uh, two rounds in the end um, but he, he was something like 19 under through, through those two rounds um, because mm. he just went out there and absolutely attacked the, the pins from, from day one um, he did something similar in Germany it was a three round affair again it was uh, weather affected it was sopping wet um, and he's going out there and he's just making birdie after birdie after birdie so um, I'm, I'm not proposing this one gets reduced because I don't think the weather forecast is bad as that I'd imagine they'll get four rounds in um, but it's going to play soft. It's going to be receptive. He's playing good golf. He's hitting a lot of greens. Um, I think he's going to go out there and play well. Um, he's got. Uh, we've been discussing this. I'll bring Barry in on this point. If you look at um, Levy recently, he's become a lot more consistent. He's hitting tons more greens in regulation. He's playing well on courses that you wouldn't expect him to play well on. If if he continues this run of great form. And he continues it, you know, well into the season, Barry. You could actually see him making a real challenge for the European team this in this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of pleasantly surprising seeing him perform across uh, a wider variety of courses rather than being a kind of a flat track bully, which mm. he had been until now. But um, he's a really exciting player to watch. He's got a good personality on him as well. Makes him a very likable guy. Um, plays aggressive golf which you know I think the fans like to see and I particularly enjoy watching him play golf so um, I, if he makes the Ryder Cup team I think that would be a great thing because it would get um, certainly get the French crowds a bit more involved absolutely um, not not a massive golf nation but if they have we all know the French if they have a hometown guy um, to support they'll really get involved in it and I think that would kind of add to the atmosphere of the Ryder Cup uh, make it a little bit more special there in Paris so I'd be I'd be chuffed chuffed to have uh, Alexander Levy playing uh, good golf on our Ryder Cup team. We've seen it in the past, haven't we? I can remember Gallagher when when they played it at Glen Eagles. He he got in, didn't he? And that was like the see this. It was like a the best season that Stephen Gallagher had have ever had on the European tour, mm-hmm. and he snuck into the team. And then you can go back to people like Boo Weekly when it was in Kentucky and all all this kind of stuff in terms of. Uh, it was Kenny Perry actually in Kentucky, wasn't it? Kenny Perry got on the team. That was the year that he refused to come over for the Open because he wanted to concentrate on getting as many PGA Tour points as possible and he thought he'd, he'd maximise his chances by staying at home. So you do see this quite often where a local player all of a sudden finds a completely new level of golf. And Paul, I must say, I shouldn't really say this, Paul, but I'll, I'll tell listeners that you've, got, you've always seemed to have a very good read on Levy. He, so uh, yeah. I, I know the price isn't brilliant, but sometimes the obvious just stares you in the face. I, I unless he'd come in at some you know kind of six to one, eight to one, I I wouldn't have seen any other way to not back him this week because, as you say, I, I kind of follow him um, quite extensively in terms of how he's playing and uh, what kind of courses I think are going to suit and. This is the perfect storm, in my view. Um, mm. Is it, the, the, the conditions set uh, set up perfectly for him? He's playing very, very well. And make no mistake, he desperately wants to get onto that Ryder Cup team. He desperately wants to get on there. He's up to 60th in the world. He knows that he only needs another 10 spots um, in the short term to start getting him access to the kind of events that he needs. Um, to be playing yeah. so that he can get a, a decent run on that. Um, WGCs and the Masters, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, whether the golf national suits them or not, it's a different matter. But, you know, as Barry said, the, having a, um, a local guy playing there is going to enthuse the French crowds um, without any shadow of a doubt. And he'd be a fantastic um, you know, addition to the team in terms of morale. He's, he, I think he's a cracking um, golfer. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, as, as you said, he's a very amiable kind of guy. So... Um, but yeah, going back to this week, sixteen to one. Um, I've got him for um, earlier on today, and um, I've gone gone two and a half points each way. So I've gone quite heavy on him because I think that that's worthy of investing in. And um, you know, you, you've got Stenson ahead of him in the betting, but I, I I I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see him win this week. This week. Take us through your longer price because I had in my mind before um, before I saw your preview, I had two players in my mind that I knew you would tip up. Right, one okay. be one being the canny Frenchman, and this other p- individual that you've tipped up. I just knew that you'd be tipping him. Okay, so take us through. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the other other one very quickly because I'm, I'm back in Tong Lee, who won last week as well. He's twenty to one. Um, if we go into a, a birdie fest again, potentially the guy who hit thir- made thirty birdies last week. Um, he's he's gone back to back twice in his career in the past. Um, I, I That's no, interesting. I see no reason why he can't carry that on. He's a young, hungry guy who wants to uh, wants to do well. So I've gone two and a half each way at twenty to one on Hao Tong Lee as well. Um, to your point, yeah, the the third and final, obviously two big two big investments up top. So um, yeah, I've gone for Scott Hend, and Hend's that kind of player who um, you put him on a again a course that is there to be attacked, and he can. Um, he can take it to pieces. Now, it doesn't mean that he's a one-trick pony in that respect because he has performed well. He's won at uh, Fan Leng for the Hong Kong Open. He's, um, he's finished uh, runner-up at the uh, Crans at, at the uh, European uh, European Masters for the last two years on the trot. Absolutely, so he, yeah. So he can perform on these um, kind of shorter, quirkier tracks. But generally, the way he gets around that is he just takes his aggressive game to it Bangs it as far as he can, and then he's got wedges in from the rough or wherever he lands into these uh, into these small greens. And it's a similar kind of setup here because they are particularly uh, they are relatively small greens. Um, but he's going to be able to take on shots as long as he's not hitting it in the water every shot. He's going to be able to leave himself, um, you know, a wedge or a short iron into the greens. And um, when he gets on these Bermuda grass putting surfaces, that's absolutely where he thrives. So. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see him at 80-1 because he has shown some form the last couple of weeks. I was going to say, he's bubbling, isn't he? 37th last week in Dubai, 22nd finished with a 69-69 at Abu Dhabi, which is something you wouldn't really think is up Scott's, you know, Scott's alley. And another interesting one, I do remember this from the end of last year, he was 2nd and then 6th after 36 holes. At the, at, on the Earth course, the DP World Tour Championship. Yep. And you've, yep. you've always said to me, follow him on Bermuda. Yep. Bermuda, Bermuda, Bermuda. He's he is playing well. The, the, the actual um, headline results aren't particularly saying that, but uh, if you dig into it, he was uh, second for greens and regulation at Abu Dhabi, which, again, when he's playing well, that's exactly the kind of numbers you expect to get out of him. Um, and he was seventh for putting last week in Dubai, so just over 1.6 mm. putts per greens and regulation. So, you know, you tie that together, decent greens and regulation, decent putting, he's going to have a good week. So um, he 
where did he come last last year? 29th last year when he played this course, um, and he shot a 74 and a 75 in that, and a 66 and a 67. So clearly he can play the course. He turns three of those rounds into 66s, 67s. He's going to be in the mix. So um, so yeah, 80 yeah. to one I thought was a price worth taking on. Any any thoughts, Barry, on one of the, you know one of the these typical Asian birdie fests? You know, on a really soft golf course. Anyone jumping out at you at a bigger price? Couple of yeah, a couple just did. Um, David Horsey uh, came out of the blocks. Uh, I'm not going to actually put in a horse pun right now. Um, he took off very quickly. I can't help it. Um, Quick out I, the stalls, yeah. I, I really can't help it. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, everyone. Um, took off very quickly last week with um, what was it 63? I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So the guy can clearly score and. Uh, yeah, he's um he's available at ninety to one on bet three six five. I'm seeing right now. There's not too many markets up, but he is there. He finished and second here a long time ago, actually, Horsey. Um, going yeah. back to when it was on the um on the uh, Malaysian Open, so he's got a bit of form around this track as well. That ha- that that certainly helps my case. So uh, that's one, and the other one I just kind of uh, from scanning through the uh, the combined stats sheet on the site was uh, Sam Brazel. Who has mm. gone thirty seconds? Yeah, he, he won in Hong Kong a couple of years ago, completely out of the blue, didn't he? Was yeah. it last year before last year? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's had uh, last two tournaments are thirty second and twenty second, and he finished twelfth here last year. So when those are all combined, along with his odds of one hundred and forty to one, that means the money's coming out of my wallet and going on him. So those are my two for the week. I do like horsey actually. Because you know, again, short, a relatively short course. He's a he's a real tactical technician, isn't he? And he can he can just pick a golf course apart and score really really heavy. He he can do. Um, I my reservation this week is that it's gonna it is gonna play relatively long, even though it's only seven two because it's gonna be so soft. So. Um, there will be some of the par fives that he's not going to be able to attack because he's not going to be able to get it far enough up the fairway, um, in my view. But yes, if he gets the putter going, which we know he can, he can get himself in the mix. And um, the, the the danger with Horsey is that when push comes to shove at the uh, the business end of the actual event, um, does he convert um, or does he does he do a uh, an Andy Sullivan and uh, and drop away right at the end or a Mark Leishman? Oh, that's mean. <laughs> Just because Andy burned you last week. Anyway, I'm. Ha- I'm happy to take the punt at ninety to one and see yeah, what, yeah, see what he can do. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what you get for ninety to one. It's interesting with Lee, isn't it? Already in his young career, he's he's gone back to back twice. Yeah, going back to two thousand and fourteen. So what would he have been then? He'd have been eighteen years of age. So he was wow. playing on the um, uh, the the one Asia tour and the uh, the, the PGA China tour. So they, you know they're, they're they're small um small events, but even so, to have the experience that you can go out and win an event and keep that form going for another week and and do that. One of them was um, back personal back to back, so there was a week off in between. The other one was literally um, week after week winning two on the trot. So, uh, so yes, he can maintain his form. And, um, yeah, I'll be interested, very interested to see how he plays this week. Should we talk Waste Management Phoenix Open? It's always catchy, that one, isn't it? Mm. I, I always like this tournament um, simply because of the atmosphere. You know, 600,000 uh, beard-in-the-main <laughs> beard spectators causing an absolute... Um, Riot, especially on the Saturday, and then of course it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, 
It's the kind of tournament I also like because it can be very, very predictable in terms of the skill sets that we're looking for. So don't forget, played at altitude, it's a 7,200 yard par 71. So it's at altitude and it's 7.2. So straight away you're thinking, well, it can be overpowered to a certain extent. The greens here are a bit, it's a Tom Weiskopf design. Um, which the north course last week at Torrey Pines was as well. But it's a weird course because the greens themselves are Tiff Eagle Bermuda grass. But because it's clearly winter and even the, even in Phoenix it gets quite cold, especially uh, you know over, overnight and in the mornings, they overseed the greens. They overseed them with a mix, which includes velvet bent grass. And if you look at the winners here, uh, Hideki Matsuama, uh, we also, of course, had Brooks Kopka, and we've had uh, the likes of uh, Baby Walrus won uh, the, the year before that in 2014, Mickelson. The greens have changed of late, and they tend to suggest to me that they actually play more like bent grass than they do Bermuda grass, just by looking at the names at the top of the leaderboards. Um, we know that Kopka's won on bent grass. Uh, he won the US Open on bent grass. We know that Hideki is far more comfortable on bent grass greens than he is on Bermuda grass. So to me, it suggests that they play far more like bent than they do Bermuda. Um, it's a For me, I, I don't know, you can almost call it like the cathedral of ball striking because when you look at this, the numbers are pretty incredible in terms of the skill set that's needed. Effectively, you've just got to hit as many greens as humanly possible. It isn't a putting contest of any of any shape or form. So you're really looking for players this week who can hit the ball a long way, who can hit the ball high, who can hit uh, the prerequisite amount of greens in regulation, and uh, also are very, very aggressive across par fives and also drivable par fours. Because as we remember, and I'm sure... Paul and Barry both remember this a couple of years ago when Ricky Fowler was two ahead on the 71st hole, the drivable par four, and he hit it in the water using driver. It's one of those courses that um, you can almost be over-aggressive on it. So, you know, it isn't complete and utter 100% throttle, hitting it as far and as long as you can. There are there are certain nuances and tactics that need to be to be played around here to get the job done. If you see what I mean, uh, are they your thoughts about it, Barry? In terms of TPC Scottsdale and the way it plays, I have less knowledge about it than you. But yeah, I, I it certainly feels like um, guys could grab you know from just from the human aspect, guys can grab one or two shots on their on a round even by just getting a buzz off the crowd and enjoying the atmosphere. You know, yeah. loosens them up and uh, might give them just that little bit more aggression where needed. And you know, hopefully the caddy can hold them back when um, when it's not needed. So it, it seems to me that guys that enjoy and embrace the atmosphere there tend to to perform very well uh, in it. Um, who I'll just give a couple of my quick mid-range picks quickly and then we'll bounce back to you for the the main stuff steve i think uh, i'm gonna follow ben ann um, he's at 50 to 1 um finished sixth last week and uh yes in good form solid golfer uh he led this for a lot of last year didn't he before mid he before he decky kind of caught him up and swallowed him eventually uh yeah hungry hideki uh going for three in a row 
And um, who that's else? never that's never been done since Steve Stricker, by the way. I think that was that was that two. I think it was oh nine, ten, and eleven at the JDC. Yeah, but so last last week we thought the north south thing might flip around, so you never know; it might just stick to it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, the other one who went pretty well last week was Harris English. He's a bit of a uh, he's a bit of a green and red monster to uh, to my to my eye, anyway. So uh, those are my two: fifty to one and fifty-five to one. Um, Hits it a long way, Harris, doesn't he? Yeah. If I come up with any super long shots, I mean, somebody else that might interest me is Ryan Palmer, playing very well. Um. So and he's a seems, seventy to one. Seems to be a bit of juice in par with that price. I think yeah. I think people genuinely underestimate him because clearly he hasn't won since twenty ten. That's a problem. Um, <laughs> mm. But uh, you know, that's uh, if you can get uh, nice each way, you know, a quarter of the odds each way. You know, there's a very good chance he could just go and do it again this week, or he might go and get over the line and hit a better wedge shot when needed. Um, oh. I know, there's, I know there's a player that Paul's very, very interested in, he's, and he's sitting just above Ryan Palmer on odds checker, and that is Charlie the Hoffmeister, Hoffman. I, I, I know you, you've had him earmarked this for this for a long time, haven't you, Paul, Charlie? I'm sure you have. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be looking um, primarily, well, I want to see his tea time first, but uh, yeah, I've been having a look at Charlie and his... Um, for the first round leader market, because he's that kind of player who can get off to a very fast start, and... Uh, for me, this, this is the kind of track that you do need to go out and attack. And you, you talked about if you've got good, you're a good ball striker, but also you you want to be aggressive on those scorable fours and fives, then uh, you can put together a, a a pretty competitive score. And uh, he's that kind of player, uh, Hoffman, who can uh, get out of the blocks very quickly. So once all the market's fully formed, um, that's that's a bet that I'll be uh, looking for if he's got himself a decent tee time. That's for sure. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just quickly run through the form of players that have won this. Right, okay. So going back to Hunter Mahan, 64th at Pebble the week before. Mark Wilson miscut. Kyle Stanley uh, breaks the trend completely because he 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 finished second at Torrey, the famous Branch Snedeker victory where he threw it away. Then he went the week after to Scottsdale and got his first major in PGA Tour, Kyle Stanley. So it can it can and does happen. But then Phil Mickelson, 51st. Kevin Stadler was 78th. Brooks Kopka was 19th. Hideki Matsuama missed cut at Torrey Pines. And he was 33rd at Torrey Pines last year. So it doesn't shout in your face, uh, in your face result from that. Now, you do get players like Ryan Palmer that have done well at, um, done well in the tournament previous, come here and done very well. JB Holmes is another one that can uh, link good performances together out on the West Coast. So I wouldn't be surprised to see JB involved again this week because clearly on a course where total driving and being able to hit it a mile does have an advantage, you can see the likes of Holmes. You can see the likes of a Scott Piercy, the likes of a Ben Ann, guys that are particularly aggressive off the tee and can hit an amount of fairways you can you can see them being a factor this week you know at the end of the day Brooks Kopka won here on course debut a few years ago so you know that aggressive that that real aggressive ball striker who can hit lots of greens not that I'm saying JB can do that but you don't have to do that to get in the mix and get an each way payout around here. But eventually, the winner seems to be the guy that can hit it 70, uh, you know, 77, 80, 82 point or 83 percent in terms of greens and regulation. Very high greens and regulation around here. 
I haven't actually selected my tips. My uh, preview is going to be out in the morning. Uh, Jason Day, uh, the the playoff going over into today meant all of the PGA Tour stats didn't update. So the odds are up slowly, and the stats have only just become available. But you know the players that I do look at the. It's interesting looking at the top five in the market. We've got of course Jordan Spieth. We've got Hideki going for his three-peat. We've got John Rahm, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler. You know, five of the very best players in the world. And you've got someone like Coral that have pretty much gone level price on all five of them. And then you've got someone like Bet365 going nines on Spieth and Matsuama, ten on Rahm. And then out to sixteens for Thomas and Fowler. So, you know, there's even the bookmakers are having quite a big variance of opinion already on this. So I think it's going to be an interesting tournament. Um, I would not be surprised to see an elite level winner. And uh, my tips are coming out tomorrow, my tip preview. So uh, it's going to be always one of my favourite tournaments, this one. So uh, for me, look for ball strikers and look for guys that can hit the ball a particularly long way. Um, I just think ultimately that's the kind of player that will get the job done over someone like a Webb Simpson who just can't quite have the length to do enough damage to uh, to actually get the victory. Right then, gents, thanks very much for your time. Uh, very enjoyable as ever. Thanks to listeners, and uh, we will see you all again next week. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Goodbye.